0: Welcome to week two, episode two of our series, Oh Brother, where we're walking through each chapter of the book of James. Like we mentioned last week, James is really a fascinating character because James was Jesus's younger brother, his half brother. So he watched Jesus grow up and he probably like most little brothers follow around in their big brother's footsteps and understand and a lot of things that the big brothers do, and try to copy a lot of what the big brothers do. So, we think there's a lot to learn from Jesus' younger brother. But you got to admit, like growing up as James, it would be hard to grow up in Jesus's shadow, right? I mean, all the time, his mother Mary and father Joseph were probably like, why can't you be more like your brother, Jesus, James? Why don't you do this more like your brother, Jesus? He wasn't the popular brother of the family when Jesus was alive. And it got me thinking there's a lot of celebrity, uh, famous families where there's actually a sibling who's not that popular at all and not famous at all. I mean, did you know that, You know, you have Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen and Elizabeth Olsen, who's another sister in that family who was part of the Avengers movies. But they also have an older brother named Trent. Yeah, Trent Olsen. Nobody talks about Trent. He's not in the big movies. He's not like uber famous at all. But Trent's like the unfamous Olsen brother. It's kind of crazy thinking about that. Did you know that there's a third property brother? I mean, he's not part of the show, The Property Brothers, and maybe you don't know what The Property Brothers are. They're are these two brothers that buy, sell homes, and uh, renovate homes and try to convince you that you can spend more money than you really need to by watching HDTV. But there's actually a third brother, and he doesn't have the skills with his hands uh, with carpentry or with selling or buying homes, but he apparently can do really great Uh, impersonations of celebrities, that would make a really interesting episode of the Property Brothers, the Property Triplets. It could be that way, probably for sure. And then if you guys remember the group, the Jonas Brothers, who were really, really popular back probably about 10 years ago, recently made a little bit of a comeback. Did you know that it's not just the three brothers that are in the band? There's actually a younger brother. His name's Frankie Jonas. Some people call him the Bonus Jonas. And he's not real famous. He's not like on the tours and he's not on TV playing on SNL or things like that. But Frankie Jonas, he's a Jonas brother as well. I mean, I'm just glad that I'm not the bonus Jonas or known as the bonus anything in a family, right? But James understands this kind of, there's the popular ones and then there's the famous ones and then there's not. Because James was the not famous brother from his family because Jesus got all the headlines. And I think that's a fascinating thing because what James is gonna talk about, what we're gonna discover together in James chapter two is the dark side of that reality and how we can all play a part in the dark side of that reality as well, because we're going to talk about this pitfall, this roadblock for us to become mature in our faith. Favoritism. That's what we're going to talk about today. Favoritism, playing favorites, discriminating against other people that are different than us. Because this is where James really starts chapter two of his letter. And this is, he comes out swinging, I'll say this. He says this in chapter two, verse one. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, I, there's a couple of things I want us to see from this very beginning uh, topic sentence of James chapter two. He refers to his brothers and sisters, his believers in our Lord Jesus jesus christ and the glorious lord jesus christ now we don't talk about this often but when any any time anybody um refers to anybody as lord it's a powerful statement Whenever you say, Lord, it's kind of like saying, my king, my leader. The Lord was the boss in ancient times. They were the ones that set the standard for how people should live in every aspect of their life. And so James is saying that Jesus, he's not just our savior. He's not just the one that gets us off the hook. He's the one that we're supposed to follow in everything in every area of our life he's the Lord Jesus Christ And one of the ways that we're supposed to follow Jesus and say that he's Lord James says here is to not show favoritism at all now that word favoritism in the ancient language is actually a compound word that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce and embarrass myself but on the level it's two words it's to receive Someone's face to receive someone's face. In other words, it's to look at somebody and receive them on face value. Or another way of saying is to receive somebody and accept somebody based on their appearance on face value to receive their face. That's what it means to show favoritism. A couple months back, my grandfather passed away and he was such an interesting guy that collected a lot of things. So going through his apartment, it was fascinating finding his like coin collection. He had bags and bags of old, old coins. And we found this one bag that was just a bunch of dimes and a bunch of nickels and we're like, okay, let's just count this up and see how much it is. Because coins on face value, you know, a dime is 10 cents and nickel is 5 cents. We start counting up my grandfather's coins and we're like, okay, this is how much money is. So we take it to a place Um, to look at it like a coin collector, somebody who specializes in gold and silver. And we found out that face value wasn't reality at all. A lot of these nickels were worth $20 and these dimes were worth $25. It was fascinating because they were actually made out of silver underneath the surface, not just on face value, there was so much more value. Now, favoritism, showing favor to just someone's face and their appearance, we miss out on so much because we judge people. We discriminate just on the face value, their appearance only. And what James is saying here is that when you judge people based on what they look like, their appearance, what their face looks like, man, that does not line up with the way of Jesus, the way that the Lord Jesus wants you to live. In other words, favoritism and following Jesus, they don't go together at all it doesn't line up or make any sense in the life of a believer for us to show favorites towards some people and not towards other people James, he illustrates this next in the next three verses, starting in verse two, he says this, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, he tells this story to explain how we can show favorites or how people in the early church were showing favorites towards wealthy people. And he uses strong words. He says that you become judges with evil thoughts. And as we read this in the year 2020, I mean, it's probably pretty easy for us to be like, man, I'm glad I'm not like the guys in that story. I've never asked anybody to like move from their seat next to me and sit at my feet. We say, oh, I'm not on the same side as the people discriminating, showing favoritism in this passage. But if we're really honest, no one, no one, myself included, you as well, Is immune to this kind of discrimination when we think about it. We're all guilty of this to varying degrees, of us judging people by what we're told about them or a preconceived notion or implicit bias. Check out this video I found of six photographers that were challenged to take a portrait of one man, but they were told different information about who the man was. I think this is fascinating. Check this out. are about to meet Michael. He lives fast as a self-made millionaire. You didn't have to dress up, it's all right. You're gonna photograph Michael. He's actually saved somebody's life. Michael is an ex-inmate. He's a commercial fisherman. Michael claims to be psychic. Nice to meet you. Michael's a former alcoholic. Here's your camera. I would like you to flesh out the essence of who he is. Well, I hope I've got that guy's bravery on the film. So it was a very intimidating environment. I like the empty yeah. chair next to it, too. Like, is a totally different Almost looks like six different people. So not everything I told you today was true. I'm not a fisherman. I am not an alcoholic. GFC hit me hard, but I've never been a millionaire. Never been in prison. I am a Bondi lifesaver, but the story we talked about never did happen. Not psychic. Can barely spell it. Before I knew there were different character pieces, I thought, that's really strange. These don't look like portraits of the character I thought you were. You always got your own preconceptions and you got your ideas. It, pushed me into a a position and a space that I wouldn't normally be in. You have to dig a lot deeper, it means you've got to be, I think you're a lot more creative to, to work out how you're going to play things. You guys? You know, I, I don't believe that most people wake up and actively, consciously decide that we're going to discriminate or show favoritism towards one group of people and not show favor towards another group of people. But this is what I believe that our broken nature influences how we see people that are different than us and then how we ultimately treat them. We all, from time to time, make quick judgments, snap judgments about people. And a confession, maybe a reverse confessional, a pastor confessing, I do this often as well. I assume every time I see somebody in Indiana wearing a LeBron James jersey from the Los Angeles Lakers, I, I assume and make a snap judgment that they're just a bandwagon fan and they're just following wherever LeBron James is. I assume and make a quick judgment every time I hear somebody pick up a phone call and go, and they say this, uh, go for Brian, go for Steve, go for Libby. I assume that they think they're better than me every single time. I mean, I, sometimes if I can be honest with you, I assume when people share news stories that don't line up with the way that I see the world, I ultimately just quickly assume and quick snap judgment towards them saying that they didn't really have good sources or maybe that's fake news. <laughs> We all do this to varying degrees. It's just part of our broken nature. And we need to understand and admit and acknowledge that we have a tendency to fall into these biases and we have a tendency to play favorites towards things that agree with us. And James says here that favoritism has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. And we actually become have, uh, judges with evil thoughts when we do this. He continues on in this passage with more challenging words about favoritism. He says this starting in verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? I mean, James comes out swinging here, really laying on his case for how favoritism has no place in our lives. And he says here that, you know, in verse five, God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in his kingdom. In other words, he's saying that in God's economy, in God's status levels, that the poor people actually can be rich in faith and they can be known as rich and have much in the kingdom of God. He's saying that Jesus' way is upside down from the way that we look at the world. And so we need to understand that Jesus is doing a new thing, and we can be rich in faith and poor in everything else, but at the end of the day, we're actually rich. And so this is the way that we should look at people. You know, in James' culture, he's calling out people who are showing favoritism towards wealthy people. And he says, no way does this belong here. But you know what? In our culture, we do the same kind of thing today with different categories of people. Often, we show favoritism and we judge people and discriminate people towards their appearance and because of their appearance. Oh, they look stylish, and so I'll approach them this way. Or they look sharp, they look really on it, so I'll approach them this way. Or maybe they look rough, they don't dress the way that I would assume they should, and so I don't feel safe, and so I'm going to act differently around them. We do the same thing and we discriminate and make snap judgments about age. We say someone's way too old or they're way too young or there's no way they'll understand the technology that's needed. And there's no way they'll understand what I'm going through because they're so much older or so much Younger, and we make snap judgments about them based on their appearance, based on their age. We also do the same thing with how we uh, define success and how we see people as successful or not successful. We judge people and we uh, sh- show favoritism towards people or show no favor towards them by how big their house is, the degrees that they have in their on their office walls, their titles at their job, how many followers they have online, how big their platform is, the vacations that they take. I mean, we can resent them because this, or we can approach them differently because of their success. And of course, there's no way that I can talk about discrimination. There's no way that I can talk about favoritism without talking about what's going on in our country right now with how There is this real thing called racism and systemic racism that is really rearing its ugly head in an unbelievable way. And of course, I I am unqualified to talk about racism, and the effects of systemic racism, as a white man who grew up in suburban America, in upper middle class living. I mean, I'm not qualified at all to talk about this bias or this discrimination that exists in our culture. But what I've tried to do over the last couple weeks is that I've tried to be humble and not just come out saying things that um, I might not understand, but I've tried to take the humble posture of a listener. And I've reached out to my friends are people of color, and I've listened to what people of color have said online about their experience, and I just wanted to listen to them and to learn from them. And, And my friends, there's so much that I don't know and that I'll never be able to understand, but this is what I'm clear about that I want you to know, that racism is real. It exists, and it is systemic in our American culture. It is a big problem. Not only does it exist and is it systemic, I wanna let you know that racism is a sin. (laughs) Racism is not just sideways to the heart of God, it is anti the God that we love and that we serve. And we have all got a part to play in eradicating this evil from our culture and especially from our churches. You know, I've come to understand and learn that I have privilege because of the color of my skin. I have white privilege. Now, this does not mean that my life has never been hard and only people of color have life that is hard, but it does mean this, that the color of my skin, I mean, it has not made my life harder. And by listening to people of color, people of the black community, there are so many ways, countless ways, how they have experienced discrimination and hardship in their life because of the color of their skin. I have white privilege that they do not have. Racism, you guys, it is a sin. Showing favorites towards people because of the way that they look, it is a sin. And I'm coming to believe that it's not just okay for Christians and for me to just not be racist. We need to understand that we are called to be anti-racist. We're called to be part of the solution to a better tomorrow, not just for us, but for our children and the next generation so that there can really be change in our community. So that our black brothers and sisters, people that are part of the Bridgeway community that are people of color, people that aren't, maybe that are just tuning in or maybe will never hear this. That you know that we hear you, we see you, and we know that our our King, our Lord Jesus is on the side of the oppressed always. And he says that there is no room for discrimination in our churches, in our families, in our society because we are followers of Jesus who loves everyone and is for everyone. I want us to see that there are all these different areas of our life and of our culture where we play favorites. We do the favoritism thing where we judge people on their appearance, on the face value that we see of them. And James is saying, this is not okay. You are called to a better way, a different way of living life. Let's continue on here in verse 8 of James chapter 2. He continues to build this argument. He says this, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You know, James says here at the beginning of this passage, verse eight, he recalls what his brother Jesus taught often, that the main thing in life is to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, this is how you know you're doing it right if you live this way. But if you don't, you are gonna fall into this category outside of God's design for you. And favoritism is outside of God's will, and you'll be marked as someone who is a lawbreaker if you do this. And and we might think that favoritism is not that big of a deal. Discrimination is not that big of a deal at all. But James lines up favoritism and discrimination with things like adultery, cheating on your spouse, or murder, ending someone's life. He says this is a big deal. We must be people that love our neighbor as ourselves, and it doesn't matter who our neighbor is. This last week I was speaking with a black friend of mine and he's someone who's outside of the Christian faith, wouldn't consider himself a Christian or religious in any way. And he says, Joel, this is what I don't understand. There are so many people who go to churches who say that they're Christians on Facebook, who say that they love Jesus, but you know what? They're out there saying that my life doesn't matter and that there's no such thing as racism and they treat people that look like me terribly. How can they hate me and say that they love God? And this is a serious question. And I said, man, I appreciate that question so much. I'm so sorry that you feel that pain. I mean, I I hear you in that. But I was able to tell him that Christianity itself is self-critiquing. And that this problem is actually something that was is been happening ever since there were people, and and one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy named John, he wrote this down in one of the letters he wrote. And it's recorded for us in our New Testament, in 1 John four twenty. He says this: Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, you can't love God and hate. A fellow human being, your brother or your sister. You can't do it. So you're lying about loving God. You're not truly a lover of God, a follower of God, if you hate your brother. It's impossible. And this is what James is trying to get across. These things are connected. Your vertical relationship with God is connected to your horizontal relationship with your brother, with your sister. James continues on in verse 12. He says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this is some rich stuff, but it's a lot going on. So let's break this down phrase by phrase, verse by verse here. He says here in the beginning of verse 12, he says, a challenge to the followers of Jesus that he's writing to, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, the law that gives freedom. And that's the idea of not playing favorites, not showing favoritism, but living a life of mercy. That's the law that gives freedom. James is trying to make the point here that favoritism and discrimination, it is a costly sin. It doesn't just cost the people that you are uh, playing favoritism against or the people that you're discriminating, but it actually costs you the person who's playing favorites as well. When we play favorites, we lose out on so much. We lose out on the beautiful experiences, relationships, with other people that are different than us because we make snap judgments. This doesn't lead itself to a life of freedom. It leads itself to a prison of sorts, a prisons of all the same when everybody is the same. And that might sound like a utopia to you, but in James's economy, in the economy of Jesus, his brother, he says, that's a prison. That's not the way that we were created to live where everybody's the same because our God is a creative God. He says, this is the law that leads to freedom as a life of mercy. He continues on in the next phrase. He says this, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Now, this sounds scary, right? Judgment without mercy, being a person who plays favoritism, who discriminates, will be shown. That idea of no mercy will be shown to them if they don't show mercy. This harkens back to what James's brother Jesus taught often. He says that, hey, if you don't live a life of forgiveness and forgive others, you will not be shown forgiveness. Now, this is not a statement about eternal damnation at all. This is a statement about a posture that we can hold. When Jesus said that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven, he's saying, hey, if you don't live a life of forgiveness, you won't have a heart posture open to be forgiven by me and ask for forgiveness. And this is what James is saying as well. If we don't live a life marked by mercy, marked by showing favor, not favoritism towards certain groups of people and discriminating people, then, you know, we won't be able to be open and have a posture of showing mercy to people as well. And we won't have that posture of being able to receive mercy as well. That's why we will be shown judgment without mercy. And then he caps off this passage with this beautiful sentence. I think it's so powerful. This could be a whole 30 minute message in itself, but he says this that mercy triumphs over judgment. The way of mercy, the way of experiencing receiving mercy and then breathing out mercy to our fellow brothers and sisters, man, it's better. It's better than playing favorites. It's better than discriminating. It's more beautiful. It's more powerful than living in a life of all the same in a circle of all the same type of people. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what James says, that there's no room for favoritism in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's a prison of all the same, and we're called to live a life of mercy and showing favor towards everyone. Which leads me to this question. What if you guys... What if instead of asking God to help us just not discriminate or make quick judgments towards people, what if we ask God to empower us, to show us, to equip us to show favor on everyone? I believe this is the challenge of James chapter 2, is not only just to not play favoritism and not to discriminate, but it's to actually take that void that's created when we don't discriminate and don't play favoritism and fill it with favor towards all people. And to do that, I have some action steps for us. First, to show favor on all people, we need to do this. We need to acknowledge that everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is made in the image of God. Let me say this plain and clear, that you have never locked eyes with another human being who didn't have God's thumbprint on their life, And that God didn't love so madly that he sent his son Jesus to die for and to bring them back to relationship with God. There is no one on planet Earth who has ever lived who is not made in the image of God. And we need to acknowledge that, that you have never made eye contact with anybody. And this is every you've never made eye contact with anybody who was not made in the image of God. And this means everybody Black, white, Republican, Democrat, gay, straight, trans, a Patriots fan. I don't care what it was. You've never locked eyes with anybody who God wasn't madly in love with and that he put his thumbprint, his image on. I love what John Perkins says about dignity. He says this, that we don't give people dignity. We affirm it. That everybody already has dignity because they were created in the image of God. And we don't give people dignity. We just affirm what God has already done. We acknowledge what God has already done and given dignity to every human life ever. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this idea of the image of God as well. He says this, that there are no ordinary people, no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, he says. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. That everybody is immortal. Everybody is just extraordinary because they were made in the image of God. And I believe that the next time before we say something hurtful online or we say something divisive or we lash out at somebody or we ignore somebody, man, it starts, the change starts when we acknowledge that everyone is made in the image of God whether they're like us or not. So that's the first step, to acknowledge that everyone is made in the image of God. But the second step is this, that we need to appreciate the diversity of the human race. We need to understand that we don't actually want people to just be like us. That would make the world rather boring. And I mean, it would make a lot of people miserable. I mean, if people were just like me, they would listen to a lot of the band U2 and Dave Matthews band, especially in the summer. And they would get really sick of that music. If people were just like me, uh, there would probably be a denim shortage in the world because we'd all be wearing way too much jean jackets and denim everywhere. This is called like the Canadian tuxedo, that's what my wife calls it. But they'd all be wearing the same thing. It'd be boring. We'd have a denim shortage. We need to learn to appreciate the diversity of the human race. We need to understand that God is creative. He could have made everybody the same. He could have done the robot assembly line when he created humanity, but he's a creative God. He's a painter who likes to paint with lots of different colors and he likes to paint with lots of different styles of art in our world. God is creative and he wants it that way. So we need to appreciate the differences between us. We need to understand that we need each other, that people that are different than us, that see the world differently than us, that had different experiences growing up, they fill out our weaknesses. They help us see in our blind spots. I mean, so often I think we, we hear people say, and I think I used to talk like this not too long ago, that, you know, I'm just colorblind. I don't see color. But another thing that I've listened to from my friends of color uh, this last week is that they say, we don't want you to be colorblind. The goal is not to be colorblind. The goal is to understand and appreciate the differences that we all have and understanding that we are different. And God does this incredible thing to paint with different colors, to use different forms of art to fill out his creation. And it's not about us all being uniform, but it's us finding unity in our differences. So we need to appreciate the diversity of humanity, of our human family. Now you guys, I know that this is hard stuff. This is 401, 501 level stuff. But this is what I think is beautiful. That if we're trying to be people that show favor to everyone, and to acknowledge the image of God on everyone's life, and to appreciate the diversity of our human family, we have a perfect example in someone who's already walked the walk and talked the talk, in Jesus. This is what Jesus did. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, Jesus didn't show favoritism. Jesus showed favor to everyone. I mean, when religious leaders drug a woman out in public to stone her because of her apparent sin, what did Jesus do? Jesus got down in the dirt and he scribbled some things down and he said, those who have never sinned should cast the first stone. He showed favor on this woman. When little kids were gathering around Jesus when he was teaching and the religious leaders and other people were annoyed by little kids, Jesus was the one that showed favor on little children saying, let the little children come to me. And he scolded some of the adults saying, you need to be more like these little children because this is who's going to inherit my kingdom. He gave dignity and affirmed dignity and affirmed the value on a human life of a child which at this time, many children, especially if they weren't boys, were cast away and were killed. Jesus showed favor on children. When Jesus sat around tables and he hung out with tax collectors and notorious sinners, people scolded him. He said, you know, they said to Jesus that you should not be hanging out with people like this. You're being a sinner, you're being a glutton, hanging out with these bad people. But Jesus came back at them and he said this, that I have came. I, have, I, I actually came for those people who acknowledge that they're broken and they acknowledge that they're sick. And I have come to bring them wholeness again. He says, I've actually come for these people that you're telling me I can't sit at a table with. We have a perfect example of someone who acknowledged the image of God and appreciated the diversity of the human race in Jesus who showed favor to everyone. In closing, I wanna ask you a few questions. Who is it in your life, in your world, that you simply walk by? Who is rarely shown favor in our culture today? And if favoritism is judging somebody by their face value, by what they look like, by their face, whose face could we lift up from looking down this next week? And not to show favoritism, but to show favor on them. You guys, our world is desperate desperate, maybe more so than any other time in my lifetime or maybe in yours, for a community that shows favor on everyone always and doesn't discriminate but welcomes everyone into their family. I want to take us back to one verse in James 2, James 2, 8. He says this, that if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. My friends, this is what we want Bridgeway to be all about. A group of people who show favor on everyone, who are doing right by loving our neighbor, our white neighbor, our black neighbor, our Republican neighbor, our Democrat neighbor, our gay neighbor, our straight neighbor, our Muslim neighbor, whatever our neighbor looks like. We want to love them as we love ourselves. This is what doing right looks like through the eyes of James, through the eyes of our Savior, Jesus. So what's your next step? Who can you lift their face up? Who can you speak to and speak and affirm the dignity on their life this next week? And let's be people that show favor on everyone. Let's pray together. Father, oh, we thank you for this, this challenging and timely message from uh, James this morning. God, may we be people that don't show favoritism, don't discriminate towards one group of people, but actively show favor On everyone. Father, and for our friends of the black community who are mourning and they're angry and they're hurting and they're longing for justice, God, may we come alongside of them. May we let them know that we see them, we hear them, and we're going to fight for a better tomorrow where favoritism and discrimination has no place in our churches and in our families and in our society. God, we love you that you lifted our face and you see us far beyond what our face value is to who we could be in your family. I'm so grateful for that. We are so grateful for that. We want to return that action to our world today. So help us see with your eyes, help us acknowledge the image of God on every person we come in contact with and help us appreciate the diversity around us so that we can really truly follow you as our Lord in this way.